0: Uh, You might notice that that the choir loft is empty this morning, and it is waiting for you all. It it is waiting for you all. We are are beginning our our summer choir in uh, two weeks. Well, Well, they'll be here on two weeks, but starting rehearsals July 7th, July 7th, July 11th. Next Sunday is July 7th, uh, July 11th, July 11th. And if you're interested, you can talk to Ed, you can sign up out on the courtyard. Um, and, and you don't have to wear a robe. It's going to be hot during summer choir season. I won't be wearing a robe, but don't panic. Don't panic. Robes aren't going anywhere. It just gets hot here in the summer. And so you want to come and sing, sing with the choir, come and, and do that. And anybody is welcome. Whatever you sing, whatever part you sing, even if you don't know the part that you sing, um, you're welcome to come to come and sing with the choir. Uh, that rehearsal is on again July 11th, and it goes through Labor Day weekend. So. This morning, we are are continuing our summer series where we've been looking at Jesus' parables in a series that we're calling Red Letter Riddles. And and last Sunday, we talked about a a parable that is is pretty well known, a parable that that many of us know called the parable of the the sower. And as Jesus explains that parable, he talks about the four different types of soil that, that the seed falls on. How many of you can remember the four different types? It's summertime, so I can walk down here. What, what, what was one of the types of soil the hard the hard soil right the hard soil was the first soil what else the rocky soil the rocky soil the thorny soil and the good soil the good soil so the 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 good soil was the the one that that deep roots could be developed right the deep roots and, and, and fruit could be could flourish and could grow because the deep deep roots were able to be to be grown and able to be built but but in between the rocky soil and the good soil Jesus talks about the thorny soil and remember one of the things that we we talked about last week is the the literal translation of what Jesus talks about there it says that the plants they started to grow they started to grow and then they were choked by the anxieties of the age so the plants started to grow, they, they maybe started to, to grow leaves and to flower, and then were choked away by the anxieties of the age. This morning, the, the parable that we're looking at, what, what Hank read earlier, and what we're going to continue to read in just a moment, builds on that idea of the anxieties of the age. The, the, the things that, that, that cause us to go, ah... In our lives, the things that kind of keep us up at night, that wake us up in the early morning hours, that that distract us from what should be our priorities, the anxieties of the age. So we'll be in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, and you can follow along on the screen, or I always invite you to bring your Bible with you. You can turn to Luke 12 as well. But as we do so, let's let's pray. Gracious God, we, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the opportunity to unpack it together each and and every Sunday. Right now, God, we ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And I ask that you would take my words and that you would use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. In the first part of the passage, Luke tells the story of two brothers who are arguing with one another. And they're, they're arguing with one another and they're saying, Hey, I... I want my inheritance, give me my share, give me, give me my half, give me what's rightfully mine. And they go to Jesus and they say, hey, can you sort this all out? Can you sort this all out? And it was common in Jesus' day for people to come to a rabbi and, and, and to say, hey, can you, can you step into our family dispute? I'm glad that's not common in today's world. Can you step into our family dispute? Can you figure it out? Can you serve as the judge in our family dispute? And instead of answering the question directly, which would have made Jesus essentially choose a side, he tells a parable. He tells a parable, and and it's one that only appears in the Gospel of Luke, the one that Hank read. Involves a wealthy man who who falls into this this trap of greed where his main priority is to build more and more and more And then once he builds so much it won't all fit in one barn. So what does he do? He says let's knock it down and let's build another one let's build another one so it can store up everything that I have his focus is to relax eat drink and be merry in some ways things haven't changed he's kind of talking about the american dream in a lot of ways hey let's build it up and build up and work 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 so we can rest eat drink and, and, and be merry he, he wants to be comfortable he wants to be tr- comfortable and in the parable god more or less says to him oh you fool you fool if you die tonight, the barn that you built to store up all your, your, your material wealth, it's worthless. You can't take it with you. Then Jesus turns from the crowds that he was telling this, this parable to, and he, he speaks directly to the disciples, and he uses a second story of sorts that's more of an illustration than a parable, but it, it illustrates what he was getting at with the parable. And he reads this, or he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so, so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow and is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink. And do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Years ago when I was, I was thinking of becoming a a, a pastor, I went to a mentor, to a friend of mine. His name's Jeff. He's, he's still a pastor to this day. And I said, Jeff, I'm thinking of being a pastor. I think God might be calling me into ministry, and I don't think it was a surprise for Jeff. I had interned like some of the interns in our church now. uh, Through college, I took on various leadership roles in in, in the church, and he and I had had long conversations about theology, about the the role of the the church in the world, and and yet he still stopped me when I said, hey, Jeff, I think I'm called to be a pastor, and he said, you sure? Sure. Th- thanks for the vote of confidence there, bud. You sure? Dave, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can do anything in the, uh, else in the world, do it. I said, you're, you're, you're a pastor. You're, you're a pastor. What, what Jeff was was not so subtly saying was, if you're going to be a pastor, make sure you are called to be a pastor. Make sure it is God who is really calling you into the, the pastoral role. And I'm glad what he said, what he said, and now, years later, I, I get why he said it. I love being a pastor. I love watching God move through people's lives. I love watching community come together like it did uh, over this last week in VBS. I love wrestling with with what God has for the church like our Vision 2020 team did over this weekend. I, I love being a pastor, which is saying something because I've had a lot of awesome jobs. I worked in high school as a as a, a, a starting as a a crew at a wholesale tropical fish store. And then I, I worked my way up and I ran that tropical fish store. I learned how to, to do bank statements and deal with customers and all that sort of stuff. I learned a whole lot about science at the wholesale tropical fish store and I hired all my friends to work with me. It was awesome. It was awesome. I, I, I got to be one of the um, the guys that works on the driving range in in, in a golf cart. I gotta drive around in the cage golf cart with towing the, the tractor thing behind me and picking up all the, the golf balls on the driving range while people were trying to hit at me. It was it was it was awesome. I was a, a waiter for a catering service and I gotta to go to all these high-end parties. And you know what the waiters get to do at high-end parties? They get to eat the food later. It's a perfect job for a college kid. And then my last two years in college, believe it or not, I was an after-school librarian. And you might think, well, that that doesn't sound like an awesome job. You know how how great it is for a college kid to get paid to go and study? I just had to sit there and do, do my schoolwork. And I never had to do my schoolwork any other time except for when I was working in the library. The school was a, a sixth through twelfth grade prep school that was uh, across the street from my my home church. It's kind of a, a high pressure place where everybody starts taking AP classes really early, where where uh, you learn multiple languages. By the time you're in eighth grade, you've got Latin or whatever done, and and then your your college math is done by the time you graduate from high school. It's one of one of those places that's that's full of of pressure. And I'll never forget one afternoon in particular. A mom of a sixth grade, sixth grade student walked her son by hand into my office and said, Dave, or Mr. Rody, I wasn't pastor yet, Mr. Rody, can you help my son write his practice college entrance exam? Sixth grade! sixth grade can you sit down and help my son write his practice college entrance exam that was 20 years ago it's only it's only gotten worse since then the pressure the anxiety it's only it's only built since then the reality is we we live in anxious times whether it's pressure on kids Pressure on on parents, pressure on adults in general. Really anyone who's just trying to keep their head above water. It's everyone. From our households to our neighborhoods, from from local government to the national and, and international landscape, we all kind of live in today's world constantly on the edge. And if we're not careful, the anxieties of the age, the voices that tell us, We'll never have enough. We'll never be enough. We'll never do enough. They can push us to really unhealthy places, both as individuals and and together as a community. I recently read that, that stress and anxiety are all about fear. And ultimately, they lead us to the question of, do I really trust God in every area in my life? Do I really trust God in every area in my life? Now, it might sound a a bit cliche or or even overused, but but we can push back against those anxieties by doing something that's easier said than done, learning to trust God, to recognize that God holds us in His hands. And by learning to prioritize the value of, of God's kingdom, Over what we hear from that anxious world, you'll never be enough, you'll never do enough, you'll never have enough. By learning to to hear God's voice through the noise of those voices. Jesus ends the the conversation with the, the disciples by saying, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's a line that that connects the parable of the rich fool with with the illustration about the the ravens and the the lilies and the grass and the field. The the parable is clearly a a warning about being overly concerned with with material wealth. But the question around the treasure goes beyond that. The question about the, the treasure, it's not just about our stuff. It is about that, but it's also about our priorities, it's a call to place our worries about everyday life into God's hands. When Jesus turns to the ravens, he, he refers to a bird that was, was kind of seen as, as dirty by first century Palestinian, Palestinian culture. Uh, today it might be the equivalent of, of, I was trying to think of it, like a, a city pigeon. Or, or those, those annoying blackbirds that make, make noise outside my window when I'm still trying to sleep. Anybody else have that problem? They, they were pests. They, they, they were pests, really, rats with wings. Rats with wings. And Jesus says, Look, those creatures, those creatures can't do anything productive, but they still get fed. They, they still get fed. So if God cares for them, think of the great lengths He'll go to in order to care for you. He goes on to say that worrying doesn't add anything to our lives at all. In the translation that we read, it's, can, can worrying add a single hour to your life? And that, that makes sense in, in our minds, but we miss this, this nuance that's there in the, the Greek language if we only read one translation. In the Greek language, it's it's... Can you add a single cubit? How many of you know what a cubit is? Cubit, how many inches? It's 18 inches. Um, So a a, a cubit is is like a a measurement of length. Like we would say a yard or a, a, a meter. How many of you would add a yard or a meter or a foot to your life by worrying? Some scholars read it, and they, they read the translation similar to what we read, and they said, how many of you can make your life any, any longer by worrying? Literally, the, the length, the measurement of length. Other scholars read it, and they say, does worrying add to your bank account or your portfolio? Does worrying add, does it make you any more influential? Both interpretations get the point across anxiety and worry they don't add anything to our lives. In fact, they do the exact opposite. There's all sorts of research that connects anxiety to our, our, our physical health. Most of us know it. You know, it, it leads to heart disease, to digestive disorders, to headaches. You, you name it. Anxiety, anxiety in our lives can, can lead us to unhealthy places. Now, I know for most of us, it's, it's not really groundbreaking stuff. You know, we, 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 we know that. We know that, and it probably wasn't groundbreaking stuff for the disciples either. They, they probably knew that, that being worried isn't a good, a good thing. And yet, I know at least in my life, I still spend a good amount of time worrying about my family, about my health, about this church. Most of my worry is around the little corner of the world where I live. But I'm also filled with anxiety when I think about the bigger picture, the state of today's world, politics, whatever it might be, those things that that cause anxiety for me to say, ah. And if I'm honest, I have probably lost more sleep in the last year over things that I can't control than I have over the things that I can control. Worrying about things that I have no influence over. And my guess is I'm not alone. My guess is that that many of us spend time, more time than we should, stressing about the things we have little to no control over. And this parable pushes us to ask, do we really trust God in those spaces? Do we really trust God in both the areas that we have influence and the areas where we have none? Do we? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned, that we we, we should put our heads in the sand and not pay attention to what's happening around us, or that we, we shouldn't take action when we see injustice in the world. I'm not saying any of that at all. But what do we do with the frustration? What do we do with the anxiety? What do we do with the fear? And Jesus says, he starts with this illustration about the raven saying, we start by trusting him with the small things. God takes care of the pests. He'll take care of us too. So maybe this week, as you, you feel that, that panic bubble up, as you, you think through that thing that causes you anxiety, or, or you, you, you hear that voice on the news that's like nails on a chalkboard, and you're just like, ah. Maybe at that point, it's, it's taking a breath and saying, okay, I'm going to trust God in this moment. I'm, I'm going to trust God with, with this big thing or with this, this small thing. Jesus continues the illustration by, by talking about the beauty of the lilies and in the, in the grass in the field. And with the ravens, Jesus gives the assurance that God takes care of the necessities, right? God takes care of the basics. With the lilies and the grass, we're reminded that we are cared for deeply by our Creator. And now in Jesus's culture and really for a lot of our world today, uh, anxiety and most of the anxiety was around having enough food or or having enough clothing. It's important that we recognize that there's still plenty of people in today's world that that lack those things and that many of us can do something about places in the world that lack those things. In fact, I would would suggest that it's because we have different priorities that we should be compelled to meet some of those needs. And at the same time, if we're really trusting God in every situation, ours and in others, it's in God's hands. One of my favorite theologians is a guy by the name of N.T. Wright, and when he talks about this, this phrase of where your treasure is, your heart will be also, he says this. When he speaks of treasure in heaven, when Jesus speaks of treasure in heaven, here and elsewhere, this doesn't mean treasure that you will only possess after death. What matters is that the kingdom of God is bringing the values and priorities of God himself to bear on the greed and anxiety of the world. Do we really believe that God cares for each and every person in this world? Do we? Do we really trust God enough to let go of our own anxiety? And do our priorities reflect that trust? As the Apostle Paul concludes his letter to the church in Philippi, he leaves them with a a couple of sentences that echo what Jesus is getting at here. He writes, Do not worry about anything. Easier said than done. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the peace of God, the shalom, the completeness of God that surpasses all understanding. Our anxieties will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May we strive to let go of our worry. I get it, easier said than done. May we strive to let go of our worry, to trust God, knowing that God holds every person and every situation in his hands. And may we set our priorities around that reality. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, we do live in anxious times. Help us to not be consumed by our fears, to not be consumed by our anxiety, by our, our worries, but to earnestly and to honestly trust you. Remind us that, us this week that, that you really are in control, that you really do have us and have others in your hands. God, we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.